This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. All right, welcome back to another episode of Creatively Wired. As always, I'm here with Jeremy Mayo. And today we're very happy to be joined by Kent McPherson. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, thanks for being here. So Kent is um, no stranger to Jeremy and myself. Full disclosure, we're we're in a band together. <laughs> is that like a conflict of interest, or not? Not really. When you're creatives, there's there's no conflict, right? It's all just everyone just helping each other out and doing stuff. That's right. It's all a, all a big family. Yeah. <laughs> So um, Kent's a sonic artist, a phonographer and composer. Tell us about, about what those words mean, actually, just for the, for the listeners might be wondering, what is a phonographer? Yeah, well, uh, yes, okay, so a, phonogra- a phonographer is literally a photographer of sound. That's how I sort of describe it, because it's, as I say, a lot of people haven't, don't know that term. And actually, if you type that word into your computer, into a document, it will always be trying to be correcting it to photographer, because it's just such an uncommon phrase or word. Um, but it is definitely a thing. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's like photographing sound. So you go to places and spaces and set up m- microphones. Um, I use some quite specialist microphones, microphones that will just record sound like we're recording now, but some that I can attach to um, objects and pick up their vibrations and others that will pick up um, uh, seismic movement. They're called um, geophones and hydrophones, which are ones that you can put underneath into substrates, liquids, mud, underwater, that type of thing. And so just phonographers are listening to kind of the hidden sounds of the of the universe, I suppose. But also the, the obvious ones as well, but with probably a lot more detail because our ears tend to filter, well, our brains tend to filter a lot of stuff out because of um, our, how we get used to hearing certain frequencies that tend to mask other ones. Our brain will block out certain things. So when we record things through microphones and then listen back to them, it's quite interesting. We go, oh, I didn't hear that in that space. But when you don't have the visual aspect as part of that process, then uh, things are quite different. A sonic artist is an artist who uses sound uh, as a form of fine art, usually diffusing or uh, realising work through speakers. Um, and but not always. Sometimes they can be kinetic works which use sound waves to create, make things move. Um, I haven't really delved into that area yet. Um, I would like to, but I'm mostly looking at uh, recontextualizing the sounds that I record into compositions of of soundscapes, essentially, um, and a and then a composer. 
uh, I think most people probably know what a composer is, but I'm a composer that mostly works with instrumental works. I'm not much of a lyricist or a singer, um, although I am currently taking vocal lessons for the first time in my many years as a, as a musician, and I am starting to work on an album of pop music um, in my new home studio. Uh, so uh, I am delving into the world of lyrics for the, well, not for the first time, but certainly for the first time in a long time, so I'm becoming a composer that's working in the pop realm when I've worked mostly in the sort of experimental or instrumental or ambient realm, such as the work I do with you two gentlemen, which is also improvisation alongside composition, which perhaps, where, which is where a small set of rules is set in place, and then the um, the artists work w within within those and uh, work with work against or with each other to create a composition, but making it up in front of people. Um, and in our case, that composition includes um, visual visual art and, um, and and music. And I've found it's quite difficult to explain that what the group that we're in, Dr. Mesmer's Private Army, what it actually is and what it does. I, thought, I think even when I explain it, people don't really get it. They sort of you can't really get it until you've been there. Yeah, yeah, it's weird, eh? It's should, should we give it a crack, explaining it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> what, you want me to? You, I, well, no, we can, all three of us in the band, so we can give yeah. it a go. Just because people now will be listening going, well, what, what, why is it so hard to explain? What is this Well, thing? I guess I usually, go to, I usually try and explain the, 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 the on-stage setup to give people sort of a, some kind of visual mm -hmm. aspect. So I say there's usually a cellist, and then when there's, sometimes there's a, a tonga poro player, sometimes there's a violinist, but the core of the group is essentially two keyboard players who are playing laptops and synthesizers, and I sometimes play a guitar, and then we have a visual artist who uses oils and inks and liquids and uh, fabrics and uses a, a light box and a big projection system. And we just start playing and drawing and seeing where it goes. Mm. That's a great description. Yeah. But so that's why how I try and that's how I try and explain it's it. It's probably about as far as we can go with words. I'd, I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd go slightly more philosophical and just say that it's a, a long form creative conversation. And it's <laughs> <laughs> probably good because then, then they, they either go, "Okay, I get yeah. it," or they just like, or "I they, have no idea what this guy's." Or they look at their watch and because <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's to me one of the most interesting parts about the ensemble is that the it's not. As is often the case in, in performance, is music with kind of visuals tacked on to support. But in this case, it's not that. The visuals are an integral part yeah. of the ensemble, and they inform the music that's being made in the same way that the music that's being made informs the visuals. And so mm. it is a really clear inter-art conversation yeah. that happens based on... We have a kind of a theme, and we have a... We have a, a a subject matter for the conversation, but then we just listen and respond through our respective art forms rather than through spoken language. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the long version of the, yeah. of the, <laughs> of the short, a, a short, a long form conversation. Yeah. Because the other thing as well is when you explain it like that, 
a lot of people go, oh, so you're DJs and he's a VJ, the, the yeah. art guy. Because <laughs> that's yeah. what people know. That's what well, people understand. Well, and that's what it could look like as well. Yeah, but I guess so. It, it, but I guess the difference is that nothing is predetermined. Yeah, yeah we, we start with no... So a DJ will turn up with his records and a VJ will turn up with their video loops. But we don't start with any of that. Yeah. We just have our instruments and equipment. We just have it. And then we create it all from scratch, which is actually very unusual. It's also potentially terrifying. I mean, I I feel very comfortable in this situation working with you guys, but like the idea of turning up to a gig and playing anywhere from an hour to nine hours. Which we have done. With with nothing predetermined other than like a chord chord or a, Mm. or a like general kind of thematic idea to explore yeah. and to then perform to people with no rehearsal is um, it's certainly putting you on the edge of uh, needing to say something. Yeah. I, in some ways, I have, I have a bit of a tension around, around that as a, as a creative because sometimes I feel like it's quite an honour to be able to actually have the guts to do that and in and in, in in the sort of like the, the the tension in that is kind of like that I feel sometimes like a little bit of a a bit of a charlatan because it's like oh so you're only playing the white notes on the piano so you can't really make a mistake although you kind of can get tensions between someone playing a B and someone playing a C and stuff which does happen and of course and of course that's a tension in itself so because some sometimes when I explain it to people it's like oh so you don't so you're not really you're not really proper. Someone said to me, "Well, you're not so not really like proper musicians because you don't really have a, you don't you don't plan anything." And so my response to that is, "Well, but who says that you have to plan anything? Like, what you know? Why why can't you just be in in the moment?" Um, but yeah, there is that there is that tension there sometimes with that where it seems quite easy. But I suppose because we've done it for so long, it kind of is. Yeah, it seems easy after spending 40 years as a musician. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of people would also look at that and go, how do you know what to play when? Or, you know, I think there's what you guys bring musically, as, as you say, something that can only develop with a lot of experience, that you're not playing all over the top of each other or you're not fighting for space, you're not all... Yeah. Suddenly stopping at once and then and that's not knowing way, what to right? do, or yeah, yeah. So and that's I think where that conversation analogy really fits. Mm. And also, <laughs> I try as we've done it quite a few times now, and been doing it for about four years. I've actually, as time's gone on, I've spent made a conscious effort to spend less time staring at the strings of my guitar and at my keys and looking at what Paul is doing on the screen. And sometimes I'm quite surprised by what he's done because I haven't been watching the evolution of this because I have to be in my zone, which is which is usually listening. But I'm actually training myself to to sort of watch what's going on there and then trying to respond to that because I don't want to just sit, sit around and go, oh yeah, I'm always responding to what Paul's doing because that's not always the case. But I do try and make that a th- a thing to keep in touch with perhaps a thematic idea that I might not be aware of that's occurring in the space at that time. So that's um and that's that's good. And it's all and it's and for me as an artist as well, it's always about uh being outside of the comfort zone as much as possible and and um learning, always learning new techniques. 
And I think every show that we've ever done in that, in this group, which is really my main sort of uh, live performance uh, output over the last few years, and it's kind of all I've needed, really, to be honest. I mean, I am doing stuff with other people as well, but um, <coughs> uh, it's... Um, each show has a, has a slightly different uh, feel to it. And that sort of ephemeral uh, state is uh, what keeps it interesting, mm -hmm. I think. You know, that you, you, it's like, okay, we did that, it's done. It's out in the ether now, and, and that's the cool thing about kind of selling it to audiences, like, you know, you are the only people that are going to experience this. Um, and and, I th and I, it's quite interesting, I find it quite interesting. When I did my master's, I looked at the recorded, the, the, the idea of recorded sound, um, and of course I had to go back in time to when music was being made before it could be recorded onto wax cylinders and then subsequently onto magnetic tape and onto acetate and so on. So you would go and see, you know, in the 1800s um, or 1700s, you would go and see a Mozart work or a Stravinsky work, or it's probably 1900s for Stravinsky, but you, the audience would take that work home with them because it was not going to be repeated, even though it had been written on a, as, a, as a score on a manuscript. It was not going to be repeated, that performance. It wasn't recorded. So I, was, I think that's kind of interesting that the ensemble that we're playing in, the Dr. Mesmer's Private Army, is uh, is kind of returning to that, you know, it's in the ether of that moment. And, and as, 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 I mean, even though we do record them and put them out on our Bandcamp page as albums in their own right, still, if you're there, it's um, it's very different because, of course, when they go up on Bandcamp, they don't, we don't have Paul's graphics. We've got, we need to address that somehow, I think. We have done some things where we've got Paul's imagery as part of it, but one I'd be, well, I think we should be capturing more of that and just having it as something that people can watch and listen to or just watch or just listen to. You know, maybe we should have some kind of, I don't know, some kind of um, multimedia experience for diffusing the work of Dr. Mesmer's turn sound off, <laughs> turn images off. Yeah. You know, have a, have a you know, have whatever, or, or even maybe change the sound. Oh, you imagine that, change the soundtrack, just like have only the cello. But I, I love that we get you in for a podcast and we're already brainstorming new ideas for the band. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, the, the, point is, is that even if you record everything and distribute that, it's always going to be a different thing from the experience that the audience gets anyway, right? Yeah. Because they're in a space that has its own acoustics and their the experience of sitting amongst other audience members and seeing the thing being played yep. and knowing that there's not music written down, that it's just being made for you in that moment is quite a different thing than, yeah. than going online afterwards. Yeah, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, I mean, I was watching the um, gig that we did in, during lockdown level two, I think it was, wasn't it, or one even, um, where we all played in our own houses um, and jammed together with the beauty of technology, um, syncing us all up with virtually no lag, which was astonishing. And going, watch, I was playing it to somebody who wanted to know about it, and 
um, it was quite weird. I felt really just disconnected from it. It just didn't feel like when we did it at all, whereas sometimes I watch performances and I remember that space, that time. But I think that whole lockdown experience was quite alienating for a lot of us, and so I sort of felt I sort of felt that I didn't feel connected to that um, performance. And like, oh wow, is that what happened there? Um, and of course, we had Paul's visuals up in the top sort of left-hand corner of the of, of the screen, I think, which um, was weird. Usually, I'm used to seeing it on you know twelve meter. Uh, screens and and or not maybe not that big or maybe yeah we protect onto houses haven't we? <laughs> yeah. like the entire uh, building that Pasco's building is fifteen meters wide. Well, so. right, yeah. And what about the um, the Mansfield house. Mansfield? That yeah. must be mm, thirty meters wide. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's great to be able to do that, and that that that's the audience experience that you you can't get from a recording. You know, there's, there's monolithic. Imagery that's just moving and mm. in, the, in the darkness, you know, that's cool. People love that's the bit I think people take away more from the shows than you know these eight notes that the musicians are pretending to make sound interesting. You know? <laughs> that's, that's very generous of you. <laughs> it wouldn't make much sense without music, though. <laughs> well, true, it would probably be. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we could try it. We'll just, <laughs> you, guys, we'll just, you guys just kick back while I'm doing unplugged. Doctor Mizz is unplugged. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the lockdown thing's interesting, right? Because as creators, a lot of us really wanted to keep doing our thing, and audience members or you know just people in general wanted to keep being involved in things and experiencing things but I did feel that I mean there was a lot of experimentation a lot of it felt like a substitute for the real thing rather than a a new exciting thing in its own right I'm not saying entirely because I think there is something really interesting about like what does it mean for a band to play in different places yeah um and push this technology in ways that it's not designed for but it, but it is interesting what you're saying in terms of it was less memorable for you. Well, I mean, mm. the, the beautiful thing about the possibilities there is that, as you've said, the core of the band is the three of us, and when we bring in other people to jam with, would actually be to look at who can we jam with who can't be physically here, yeah, like international people, and, and kind of do a, a suite of... Again, we're developing new ideas as we sit here rather than talking about stuff. <laughs> Welcome to our brainstorm, everyone. <laughs> um, but but you're do, already doing that, though, with other people yeah, on your own, right? But, but to do that as the band, yeah. like a, a, a series of concerts, the Dr. Mesmer's bubble series or whatever, yeah. with international guests and each one with a different guest and see what that brings to the mix. Because I think that that's really interesting because it comes from that point of conversation and that point of listening more than saying yeah it's interesting when other voices are in the in the room yeah 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 no yeah definitely that sounds like a really good good idea so so bring it back to to kent <laughs> <laughs> the, the man of the hour um so thinking about you know the the work we've been discussing with dr mesmer's private army there's elements of that that i can definitely see across other parts of your work but in quite different ways as well so um, I've, you know, you've worked a lot with visual art as well, and also with collaboration with other people. Yep. Um, and you know, memorable things that that come to mind are in form of installation as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that work and and what draws you to to as a as a sound artist to working with 
visual things and collaborating with other people? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I'm relatively new to sonic art or sound art because I've only really been doing it for maybe a, a decade or, or so, and I sort of come at it from, I mean, really I come at sound from a kind of rock music point of view, um, having grown up in relatively isolated rural Hawke's Bay and discovering, um, you know, great music in the early 80s. Um, that, you know, really changed my life and made me want to be some kind of music maker of some kind. Um, so I, I come at sound, for, I've always been interested in, 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 in te textures and, and, and um, the sonic nature of, of um, music. And so it seemed a natural progression for me once I became a researcher in my role at Wintech um, to look at um, recorded, uh, recording sound in the environment. So one thing I have noticed is that it, in, as an emerging sonic artist is it's quite difficult to, it, it's more of a practical constraint in a way that the, my collabor collaboration because I've found that galleries and places where you can diffuse the work often have a problem understanding how sonic art works and how it's, um, um, diffused and how, how it's disseminated in a, in a space and so this, the artist tends to need to have more control over how it's reproduced, how many speakers, how, where they go. Um, I did a work um, a few years ago called The Absent Sense which was um, about, uh, which was a work that looked at the detail in the sound of uh, wine fermentation. So I went to a winery in central Otago called Felton Road uh, when they were having their first, uh, well not their first, but a, a, a 2015 vintage where they pick the grapes and they go straight into the vats, and the barrels for the first fermentation stage. And so I recorded Riesling in uh, Riesling, in vats, Chardonnay in barrels, and Pinot Noir in vats, large concrete, uh, steel concrete vats. Um, and it's a very violent process, and so I was able to, sh to sterilise my hydrophones and immerse these things into uh, the, or these barrels and these uh, vats. And then I turned the recordings, which were fascinating, into... Uh, into a composition, around about a 12-minute composition of recordings. And I ran the recordings through a, a sort of a spectrogram uh, and used that as a visual aspect to the work, which I thought was slightly underwhelming, actually. I really wanted it to be more uh, just, a, just a sound work. Um, but I, I kind of got convinced by... Um, couple of colleagues that I should have a visual aspect and I was resistant to it but I gave in but uh, it, it, it was something interesting I suppose for the for the audience and so I've collaborated since with a photographer on a work on uh, sort of mapping the Waikato River from its origins arguably in the Kaimanawa as the Tongariro River flowing into the Lake Taupo and then out the other side right through to Port Waikato and I went to about 37 locations along the river and recorded very faithful to time and space, just what's happening in those particular parts. And I, it was a great experience to get 
to sort of follow the Waikato River. It's 550 kilometres long or something mm. crazy. Um, and it goes, you know, and where it goes through all these. And it, of course, it's dammed in a whole bunch of places as well, which is interesting. So I'm a big fan of kayaking, so I did a lot of stuff from, from kayak, from my kayak, um, which, was really, which was really great. Um, and I collaborated with a photographer on that who took photographs at, at, at some of those locations, not as many as the ones I recorded. Um, and then that was shown in a, in a, a gallery in uh, Taupo. Um, and I did a work with one of the work I'm really proud of called Noise with Paul Nelson, video videographer, um, an artist in his own right, where we were looking at. Uh, I, I read an article in New Scientist uh, about that and how noise pollution is the second most uh, the second most prevalent form of pollution after air. Um, in the world and how it can cause us to be more anxious than we need to be and, it mm -hmm. effect, and it, how it adversely affects in particular uh, biophony or the animals living in an environment, in particular birds who change their song to compete with human din and sometimes that they can't compete at all so they stop singing altogether and when they stop singing they stop breeding and you know what comes next, and so I was very interested in this as a as a as a as a, as a soundscape ecology uh, practice. And so I worked with Paul. We had a three essentially a three sixty microphone that would record um, up to sixty four discrete channels of, of sound if we had enough speakers to do so. Uh, we used uh, seven speakers in our final uh, work, um, and Paul used a three sixty uh, camera. And we literally went to places, both urban and rural, and um, so sort of touristy spots, I suppose. We went to Craters of the Moon. We were lucky enough to get permission to go to these places um, when they weren't open to the public, So, because we really wanted to try and keep direct contact with humans out of the, out of the equation, just to see how much human din there was coming independently from these spaces. And so, you know, 6.30 in the morning at Craters of the Moon in July, it's pretty spooky, actually, um, and you know we could hear cows, um, chainsaws, tractors. You know you're really in the middle of nowhere. Of course, you can hear these beautiful sounds of the earth bubbling up from under the ground. Um, and then you know we went to the redwood forest in Rotorua, and it's right next to the main State Highway Three, I think it is, and it was just incredible din. You know, you, the, visually, it looks really peaceful. Mm because we would always do these things early in the morning, but orally, it's incredibly noisy, and it's really... And so what we did is we set up three large screens for visuals and these seven speakers in a sort of a horseshoe shape, and the audience was invited to walk into these spaces and get a sense of how much noise is actually going on in our environment. Uh, we made recordings in central Hamilton as well, which was surprisingly quiet, because we were up quite high when we did... We recorded at the top of the fire tower in, um, near, near the fire station in, um, is it Alexandra Street? Um, got permission to go up there, which was quite interesting. Um, it's about eight, it's about eight stories and it's all just steel ladders to get to the top, so it was a bit of an effort carting all our gear up there, but we got some really nice recordings there and uh, it was surprisingly quiet just with the distant sort of sound of traffic and general industry and a childcare centre. and um, So that's the work I'm a lot more interested in 
now I'm currently working on a, on a project in the Coromandel with uh, looking at how lands, well, how the, the soundscape changes over time after pests have been eradicated. So it's a mm -hmm. three-year project and um, we're turning that into visualisations to sort of represent loudness and frequency changes over time but using more abstract rather than just straight old um, spectrograms and histograms which are usually used to show this kind of stuff. So we're trying to present it in a more abstract way and trying to get it to appealing to um, you know, intermediate age children and just get them thinking about sound and mm. um, and then one final thing, I'm also creating a sound map of, it's called the New Zealand sound map, um, which I should send you guys the uh, link to. It's now sort of open to edit for anybody. I'm just encouraging people to go out into their space or their favourite place and make a three-minute recording and just upload it um, to the sound map so we can just sort of have, you know, listen to what New Zealand sounds like at any given time and I'm encouraging my students to engage in that. They're very interested in it, which is good. Um, and whenever I go anywhere where it's not a normal place, like I was in, uh, up in um, uh, Whangarei um, last year uh, visiting a friend. I hadn't been there for years, and so I always had my equipment. And I mean years, like 20 years. And so I record, made sound there, and that goes on the map. And there's obviously there's a lot around Hamilton, and, and but my father lives in uh, uh, Hawke's Bay, so whenever I go down there, I make recordings as well. So, yeah, just that's one of the things I'm trying to sort of just de develop as a um, as a historical document of what New Zealand sounds like in 2020 or whenever the recordings are made. I think it's mm. quite interesting. Definitely. Yeah. I love how a lot of these projects you're talking about are like they're moving out of the the area that most people would understand as being art and it is becoming science, ecology, yeah. psychology, anthropology. You know, yeah. it's, it's really um, interesting. And then with obvious choice to, well, not, not an obvious choice, sorry, but the choice to present that then as art as well. Not to say here's a whole lot of data or whatever, yeah. you know, and I think that's really interesting in terms of how you're talking about showing that to kids and other people because I think... Science obviously offers a lot, but I think that art as a way into kind of thinking about and understanding these these worlds is is a powerful tool. Yeah, and I'm collaborating with a scientist from Wintech on this uh, Tuatawa project in Coromandel, um, so that's quite interesting. He thinks in very different ways the way I think, and and you know we we know that. Um, and so he's really leaving a lot of the artistic stuff up to me, which is cool because he he's all about gathering data. But actually, so am I. You know, I'm really I realise that a lot of the work that I'm interested in doing is very much in the science realm, um, and I'm trying to get uh, more collaboration from Doc, but mm. I haven't had much success. Um, with that um, so far. So I'm just going to keep making work and hopefully I might get noticed by Doc and then, you know, I mean, I could apply for one of their creative grants, which I have thought about doing, but I'd rather work with them more directly because, um, for example, the wine project I did was really interesting because the winemaker I worked with, Blair Walter at Felton Road, he 
was really intrigued by these sounds and he was wondering whether actually recording the wine, the sound of wine fermentation could actually be a way of telling if you had a consistent recordings over a period of years, could you actually use sound as a way of telling whether a wine was fermenting in a certain way? So in 2009 it was particularly aggressive at this first fermentation stage mm. and in 2015 it was the same sound. <clears throat> Does that affect the way the wine tastes? Or is it something to do with the, you know, the effect of the terroir on the on the way the wine the wine is is, is creating itself? And so, um, sound as a way of understanding um, biological processes, I think, can be particularly interesting. And as and as, as I say, I'm I'm not trying to be anything more than just a documentar uh, documentarian, documentary maker, of of sound. I'm just like capturing the stuff and putting it out there and saying, let's listen to this and see how it see see what's going on there. And um, it, it's it's quite I'm really intrigued by how much uh, activity there is of native birds in large urban areas as well. Could it be that there's more noise in rural areas with tractors, chainsaws, top dressing planes, maybe it's quieter to come into the city, like why are there so many Tui hanging around the Wintech central city campus? They're quite happy there, mm. you know, uh, making lots of noise and mating and courting and carrying on. Um, interesting. And then, of course, recently I took a group of students out to Purongi uh, uh, Forest Walk um, and there was very, very little bird life. And I am aware that there had been a 1080 drop fairly not long before that. I'm not going to get into the politics of that, but I'm just saying that's what had happened. And why is it so quiet there with native birds? I just... That's really got me intrigued, and so that's the project that I'm planning for 2021. I'm going to do a lot more. I live out that way, so I'm thinking I might do a really in-depth study, go out there every week for a year and make recordings in the same spot um, and see what's going on with the climate and with uh, human interaction, with industry, which, of course, out there is very intensive farming, you know, every inch of land is farmed pretty much. Um, a lot of corn has grown out that area, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of noise associated with that type of um, planting. Um, obviously not when it's growing, but yeah, so there's a lot of the work I do seems to be to do with birds. Mm. Um, and I'm trying my best to learn uh, more about the 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 particular calls and songs, I'm not very good at it. My dad's really good. He'll go, oh, that's a thrush, that's a blackbird, and I'm still getting my head around that. When I was in Scotland in 2018 with Chris Watson, who's arguably the godfather of modern field recording, worked with David Attenborough on his Planet Earth series, done recordings for, for Björk and um, Sigur Ross and does lots of collaborations with people. Um, I was walking with him on a, a gathering of listeners through a glen in Scotland and um, he, he just went, stop. I went, what? He said, listen. I said, yeah. That's juvenile, long-eared long -eared owls. You know, he just <laughs> knew, he just knew every sound. 
Mm. And he just he'd, he had spent so much time outside listening that he just knows all this stuff. And I was just in utter awe of his knowledge uh, of this stuff. And I felt really, really in, in, inadequate in that respect. So I'm going out of my way to try and remember songs. But then, of course, you get these birds like the Tui who are so intelligent that they have these different songs. And you go, what's that? And then you go, it's a Tui. And now I've realised now that the female Tui make this particular sound when they don't want to be courted. Oh. So I've been concentrating on that sound, particularly through lockdown. I heard quite a bit of that. You know, they, they sort of <laughs> sort of it's the leave me alone. It's a leave me alone <laughs> sound. Yeah. So they'll stop and land on a branch, and they'll make that sound, and the, and the males will fly off. Mm. I have a lot of trees on my property, so I had a lot of cherry trees, which the tui particularly love. I mean, I'll have thirty, forty, in one tree. You know, crazy stuff. So I've been watching and listening to the behaviour. Um, so. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. It, it, my work is kind of evolving, just because uh, I'm finding areas. You know, I've always got my microphones, but I'm just finding areas seem to be presenting themselves to me, mm. and, and I'm just following it. It sounds like a case of you staying curious as well. Yeah, that it's that it's a um, a way of kind of revealing. Hidden or unnoticed things, but yeah, that, but that takes a certain amount of yeah curiosity and being willing to actually just stop and listen and you know be present, I guess, to what's happening around you. Which yeah, I th that's the best bit about it. Mm. It's mindful without thinking that that's what you're doing. Mm. Um, I mean, I was out in the in the forest in Coromandel in quite a remote part of part of north, northeast Coromandel, and I was so in the zone with my headphones on listening that a spider bit me and I felt this pain and I looked at my hand and my hand was like deep purple with all these white splotches in it and I went, that's not good. Um, and I thought either I'm going to start feeling nauseous very soon or I'm not and fortunately I didn't and it just went super hard and wow. I don't know what it was. There's still a little little hole in my hand. This is from 10 days ago. Um, but I was so in the zone listening that I, I, just, I just didn't really notice it so much and, until I started feeling this kind of heat in my hand. Um, I never saw the spider, but it must... I mean, I mean, it could, I mean, it could have been an ant, but it must have been a spider because it was just such a... quite a severe swelling. And, um, but, yeah, sitting in an eco-forest up there just listening to the Nico just creaking and it's yeah every now and then I get a really great recording um, not often I'll do a hundred recordings and only one of those will be something that really stands out and that was a particularly great one there was a lot of activity there were kaka rosellas tui um, lots of movement in the in the in the undergrowth wetter I would I assume possibly rats and mice which are some of the rodents that are trying to be eradicated up there, along with stoats and, and, and possums, of course. Uh, there's also kiwi in the valley up there, which we were trying to capture at night, leaving recorders out overnight, uh, capturing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, uh, there's a, they're using, they use chew cards to see how, which are uh, basically core flute with peanut butter smeared on them, mm -hmm. and so the, the scientists check bite marks on them to see what animals are uh, doing it. And so we're placing 
uh, infrared cameras and recording devices uh, on these around these areas just to sort of see what's going on. So we're gathering data that's not norm, no, a normal way of gathering data, I suppose, but um, I'm almost, and Jeremy knows this tension that I have with this, I'm almost tempted to not turn this into art. Like I feel like this obligation as, a, as an art researcher to be turning this into art, but really I just want to gather the data and make it available, available for people to listen to and experience and just go, okay, here's July 2020 and here's July 2021. What do you notice? Mm. What do I notice? You know, mm. Do we even care? But put it out there for people to have an opportunity to um, understand this. So I'm, yeah, it's a bigger conversation, I think, to have about what my pra how my, where my practice fits mm. now. And I mean, I, I won't get into the question of what is art because that's a very annoying question. But it does seem like the line is actually quite blurry, anyway. Yeah. You know, like, is the sound mapping project art? It kind of it sounds like art to me, but also you could probably look at it from another angle and go, "Well, that's actually that's quite a scientific kind well, of and process." It's, also, it's a community project. Yeah. Too. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like it's like you know, um, tell us about your home. Mm. Tell us about your your lineage. Tell us about your your fano, and uh, that's what it is. It's like capture your space, the, capture, capture capture the place that's important to you in sound, mm. and don't make any sound in that space. Just set your phone up if that's all you've got, and record. Make a video, record a video, because actually you have to actually upload a video via YouTube because it's all done through Google. So you have to turn your sound into a video anyway. So if you can record. A video that's that's totally okay, but it's much better to me if it's a static image. So I said, take a photo, use that as your video, so we don't focus too much on the stuff that's moving. Because right. I'm really trying to get yeah. people to listen, listen in a new context. Mm. Otherwise, it becomes a video map rather than a sound map. So um, I think what's really interesting about what you're doing and your kind of whole practice is that it looks at the ecosystem of sound from that ecological perspective and the the community project and then the the documentary project and the the scientific project and the art projects provide pathways into each other mm. and so there's a way that people may not immediately choose to listen to a documentary recording of July 2020 versus July 2021 <laughs> But if they hear it in an quote-unquote art context, maybe that sparks a curiosity to find that pathway into the documentary. And so there's these kind of interesting links between the way that one thing communicates with another. And I think that what's really fascinating about your the breadth of your practice is that they are, even though they're separate, they're deeply interconnected. And I mean, even the way that we use some of those recordings as elements of Dr. Mesmer's projects. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's setting a a scene or creating an environment through that mindful kind of capturing of time. Yeah. And then using that as a a springboard into new or a new voice in that conversation. Yeah, and I'm ex I'm really hoping that that's what this Tua Tiawa project will do. Um, it's going to be running at Ramp Gallery in December just for a week. 
um, just as a preliminary output of what we've done this year, which has been hob uh, hobbled by COVID, of course, but um, to invite you know, school children age, you know, um, intermediates and junior high school uh, students just to come and look at it and read the blurb about what we're doing and, and why, um, but making it, as you say, you know, the, the sort of um, uh, bridge between art and science, which, you know, Certainly my boss is a big fan of this type of thing um, in my role as a tutor at Wintech, you know, the crossover uh, where the, the curiosity is the thing in the middle of the Venn diagram uh, and, and not trying to be too siloed about, oh, well, that's art and, you know, you, artists, all they do is go and set up a microphone and chuck it up on SoundCloud and call it art. Um, and then the scientists are spending years, you know, researching one particular thing. And so, you know, are the, are the artists charlatans as a result of that? Well, I, I don't, I, of course, I wouldn't think that. But there is, there is a tension there between these things. But I think it's certainly been encouraged where I work to do more of this. Um, and I'm very fortunate that I have this opportunity to use high-end equipment, which I would never normally be able to afford myself to go out and make these um, recordings. And also, I just love gathering all these recordings i'm meticulous about my um, meta tags and so i've got thousands of recordings and i have many students ask me hey ken i really need a recording of wind and i'm like well wind doesn't make any sound well you know wind touching something so like what trees or a building <laughs> or the sea or a lake what do you grass what do you you know i can i've got them all and so I can type in wind, grass into my search engine. And so that's all that stuff sitting on a hard drive at home. But really, I'd like to make all that stuff available for people to mm. access as well. Um, I'm quite particular about documenting stuff. And actually, I forgot to mention one other project. How are we going for time? Um, that I did during lockdown. I made a recording outside my bedroom window every day through lockdown from when we first went into lockdown through to when we were when I went back to work, 65 days I think it was. I made 65 recordings every day at the same time um, for three or four minutes, sometimes longer if I forgot that I'd put the recorder out. Um, and I've turned all of those recordings into a 50-minute um, radio show for a, sh a radio show called Framework Radio in Estonia. It is a field recording radio show, and so. It's really fascinating. Uh, there's a little intro by me at the start explaining what I did and where I was geographically. And um, it should be coming out on there, some, he said, November. So sometime in November 2020, this will be, it'll be available in, for perpetuity after that online. So that was not something I had planned to do as part of a re in my research outputs, but I just thought I'll do it. And see if it's any, any if it's useful later on as a document, and of course, it is. So um, it would have been. I, I spoke about it too late with Paul Nelson, who I've collaborated with. As I suggested he perhaps did video in his backyard every day for, and we could somehow team them up. But we could do it again post lockdown, something like that, mm -hmm. um, as a you know just as a document over a period of time. Of course. There was no traffic for, like virtually no mm. traffic for mm. many, many weeks, you know. And then all of a sudden it starts to pick up and there were no milk. Oh, there w 
the, sorry, the opposite. The only thing that did continue, of course, were the milk tankers, because I live in a relatively rural area, so that was a primary industry that needed to continue. So that was the only thing you would hear, 4 a.m., mm. first milk tanker comes through. Um, but I think there were less of them because there was less demand as well. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting document. I'll let you guys know um, when um, that becomes available. Might be able to link it to the podcast text or something like that because it should be interesting to listen back to it now um, after all this time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering about lockdown when you were talking earlier about mapping, you know, the, yeah. the impact of sound, you know, cars, things like that. And uh, that, that seems like a, um, well, hopefully a one-off kind of opportunity to really hear what that you know, what that could be without cars. Like, when is that going to happen again? You yeah. Know? And, and what effect does that have? It's not really an experiment that you can set up. <laughs> no. No, one we necessarily don't want to happen again. Though it was a good, I think, as in from an artistic point of view, I spent a lot of time uh, going through um, recordings I had made and I found a, an album of basically lost works um, from about 2015 to 2016, a sort of slightly darkish kind of period in my in my my life, and um, I basically shelved all of this work, and I went through it, and I was like, wow, this stuff's great, you know. I was, I was like, I got to put this out, so I put out this 35 track album um, of stuff, and then and I also recorded an album of piano works um, called Visioning, which is on which you can download on all streaming media. Um, which was an album of piano work I recorded all in one day during lockdown. I just got up one day and went, I'm going to make an album. And so I just set up my microphones and my laptop and recorded a bunch of tunes on my mum's old um, upright piano um, and mastered them that night and put them up on Apple Music that, that night. So it was literally <laughs> done in a day, just improvised. Mm. And... Um, that was, yeah, that was a good thing about lockdown was actually having a huge amounts of time to, when I wasn't doing my teaching to, or making, making my children do their homework or their classwork, uh, to just reconnect with composition, which I'd sort of lost touch with um, in, my, in, in the sense of making doing studio recordings since about 2014, so... That's it's re-energized my uh, creative um, flow. Hence, and and I've been listening a lot to uh, a lot of uh, dream pop style music and and um, uh, shoegaze. It's a ridiculous name for a genre, but uh, <laughs> in particular the la latest album by the English band Slow Dive. And I really, really would like to make, I've always wanted to make a record like that. So that's my next goal, hence the singing lessons and just improving my sort of control over my voice. And um, so, yeah, I've started, I've even I've started coming up with titles. I've started writing lyrics, which I haven't done since 1992 or something. Mm. Um, and um, I've got a lot to write about. I've had, a you know, an interesting few years. Um, in my personal life, and um, so I've got a lot to write about, uh, and um, 
I'm trying to not make it sound like a uh, like a Taylor Swift album, which is all about you know like you know you did me wrong and all that kind of stuff. Um, although her last album is actually brilliant, I have to say the one that she did during lockdown. Um, she does still have some soppy love songs on there, but then so what? It's okay, I think. You know, I think a lot of us, a lot of stuff is. Uh, composers write stuff um, about love and loss and lust and stuff so I think why should why shouldn't she be allowed to as well why shouldn't I be allowed to um, so yeah I'm wanting to make a an album that's kind of uh, got some hope and it's quite but it's quite sensual and has lots of layers and I just want to spend time on it and just uh, just uh, do something I haven't done for a long time which is you know uh, very separate to my practice as a mm. phonographer. I was going to ask about that because it seems like a big departure from from that work. Do, are they connected at all in your mind, or are they very much they are parallel practices that they're parallel practices that are connected. I've always been a composer and instrumentalist, and but as I was saying earlier, you know, I'm, I've always been really interested in texture, you know, and in these layers. And so for me, field recording with microphones on is like. The, the texture of the, the the universe presents itself to me, or the layers that are going on, and I also, you know, when you sit and listen, you know, you hear, you, I can, it's almost like a type of synesthesia where you, where I can see the layers, I can hear the cars as this modulating white noise over there, and that's that colour, and that's that kind of shape, and it's that kind of blurriness. And then there's the sounds of industry somewhere before that. And then there's the ever-present sparrows here, um, and which, which is why I try and do most of my recordings, you know, uh, between sort of like uh, May and December because all the rest of the time it's just crickets and cicadas, you know, so it's difficult to really listen outside of those frequencies because it's so pervasive. Mm. Um, so... Um, yeah, I, I definitely see them as connected because to me it's all about these these layers of, of, of harmonic content, whether they be natural or whether they be musical. Um, and, um, yeah, so for me it's it's all about creating mm. textures and layers and sounds. A big part of your compositional practice is sound itself. Like, you don't typically write notes on a page for other musicians no. to play you use the studio as your composition as your tool. compositional tool yeah. as your notation as your experimental play box and yeah craft things from a sound pure sound yes yeah, so build it build it up yeah and actually i've started writing songs and writing them down and it's quite been quite difficult because I haven't done that for a long, long time. I used to write heaps and heaps of songs. You know, I've got I've released a few on SoundCloud recently. It's called called Grandpa's Old Suitcase, which is a bunch of pop songs that I wrote <clears throat> last century. Goodbye, Mr. Sun, and um, there's a song called Naked, and 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 quite a few. They're quite hilarious listening back to them. Um, and um, so, so yeah, I've started coming up with chord progressions and. Um, as I say, listening a lot to slow, the Slow Dive album and listening to what they're doing, listening to the tempos, teaching myself how to play some of those songs just to get figure out what it is that they're doing that's appealing to me and then sort of trying to put my own voice into, into that. Um, and so, yeah, I've just built this 
uh, built a recording studio inside a 20-foot shipping container and um, I really want to use it, you know. So yeah. um, I have, I, I've spent so much time getting it built and set up that now that it's done, it's kind of like, okay, now what do I do? And so, <laughs> uh, yeah, and a couple of projects to do in there will be, will be good um, for me. And as the summer comes up, hopefully I can spend a bit of time in there just uh, with the windows open, just um, looking at the mountain, just coming up with this, these ideas for this record. But it's slow, but it's coming. I'm letting it take its own course um, and I'm not going to have a deadline on it. I'll just finish it when I finish it and um, maybe 10 tracks or something like that. And Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we're uh, coming up to uh, time here. Mm -hmm. So if people want to check out your work, what's the the best platform for that? I've got quite a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff on SoundCloud. If you type in my name into SoundCloud, Kent Macpherson, M-A-C, small p, H-E-R-S-O-N, <laughs> uh, you'll find me. And I also have released a whole lot of stuff over the years under the name Burning Giraffe as well, which was also on the same SoundCloud page. But I'm also on all the other streaming media under that name, um, Kent McPherson, but also I've started delving back through stuff I did a long time ago uh, in a group called Legs for Fish. Um, so if you type in Legs for Fish, you'll find some stuff which I'm really proud of. We only did two EPs in 10 years, but it's really quality stuff. Me and another guy called uh, Paul Bins. And um, also Wild Sonic Blooms is up there, the collaboration with uh, Reuben Bradley, Megan Rogerson Berry and Harko. And, and Jeremy, um, which we did a live set for, which I was actually playing to a friend the other day with Paul doing visuals. Um, is there an easy way for people to find the sound map? Yes, there is. If you go to Google Maps and type in New Zealand sound map, it, it, as far as I'm aware, it's the only one that's called map. It's called that. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This Free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.